For Chris the Intern, Dan Disler, Eli Sherman, and Matthew Cox, I'm your host, Jeremy Parks. We're going to leave you with a good night and a go blue on just another Manic Monday. Monday. <laughs> Should be Donald Trump's theme song. Every day is a manic day for him. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And just to remind you, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And uh, wow, perfect day out there. Boy, that's for sure. It's uh, nice. just about ideal. Just about ideal, right? That upper level of of hotness well just to give give out a quick brain damage award to bill shooty you know he's been fighting this uh straight party ticket voting here in michigan and uh, of course many states don't allow straight ticket party voting straight party ticket voting i guess is the correct phrase but michigan has twice use the initiative process to overrule the legislature on this issue. And this is why this became a case that Shudy just kept appealing. And I think it's part of this interesting lack of focus over the last several weeks because Trump is just sucking up the oxygen on every issue. He's spinning his wheels in the sand. He's hitting patches of black ice. Any one of metaphor you can throw at it, he's jumbling and jangling and just a a disaster one after the other. Yeah, another bad week. So the intervention uh, isn't working. (laughs) Uh, You know, to to get involved in the, uh, I mean, first of all, the, the so-called outreach efforts that he made to the African-American community over the week to compare our our urban cities that certainly have some problems to w- what war zones look like abroad is pretty outrageous. 
Well, it demonstrates an ignorance of what actual experience is for people who live in or work in communities that he's visualizing this way. Yes. And it's just, it's fairly outrageous. I mean, Syria is, the cities when you when you see photographs just in the newspapers alone, and of course the television coverage is superficial, to say the least. Uh, international journalistic coverage, even by newspapers, is in profound decline here in the United States. But even the pictures that you see in the New York Times show that these cities look like Germany in World War II. They look like Russian cities that were attacked by the Nazis in World War II. And Donald Trump, of course, there are questions about his draft status. I'm one of those people that can't wait for the end of the Vietnam controversy to just be out of politics, period. And needless to say, Hillary Clinton was not subject to a draft status back in the 60s. But Donald Trump couldn't remember which foot he had the bone spurs on. And he played lots of sports. <laughs> and, of course, we know that uh, there were college deferments for various reasons. Dick Cheney famously got married quite early to uh, avoid any military service in the infamous lottery. They used to have a mm -hmm. ping pong thing. So I definitely wanted to give uh, Donald Trump a brain damage award for comparing our cities to what we see overseas in war zones. You know, it's fascinating to have heard last night on BBC, uh, <clears throat> given the recent uh, peace agreement between the FARC and the Colombian government, that the Western Hemisphere, as, the, as these experts pointed out, is virtually war-free at this point that the wars of the 1980s that have contributed so egregiously to our immigration problem, that's never discussed, by the way, uh, in, in, a, in, in why we have refugees, so to speak, or people fleeing from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, coming into our country. These areas are, West, the Western Hemisphere is war-free. And now Colombia appears to be about to enter that yeah. category. It's not official yet. There's likely to be some political resistance to the proposed treaty. Uh, but I think there's probably a lot of a lot more popular support for that treaty than there is amongst uh, the ruling classes. And the war zone, uh, in fact, as as uh, I think Professor Pinker. Um, and I believe his first name is Stephen Pinker, who talks about actually the progress that human civilization has made overall in terms of total violence. The media gives us this perception of how violent things are. And certainly gun violence here in the United States uh, reared its ugly head once again related to the campaign. Here you have a celebrity, one of the most famous basketball players, uh, Dwayne Wade also called D-Wade. His cousin is shot in Chicago in a random shooting. And what does Trump do? First of all, Dwayne Wade has worked against gun violence as a celebrity, denouncing it and talking about the problems. He recently, by the way, signed with his hometown team, the Chicago Bulls, and he tweeted, enough is enough. 
talking about random gun violence in our urban areas. What does Trump do? He starts talking about himself, rationalizing the violence, and says that this basically proves what I've been talking about. Vote for Trump. And, you know, the outrageousness of Trump and his approach to these real problems and his inability to stop tweeting. <laughs> Slap that thing out of his hands. He's got a, a problem. Ronald Reagan had a thing about arms control. <laughs> to quote a famous remix of a Walter Mondale comment used in one of the debates. The 84 debate. Uh, well, you know, Trump will be back in Detroit this Saturday to reach out to the African-American community. Um, which he didn't do at all in his previous appearance at the Detroit Economic Club. Well, certainly not. That's a, a different audience altogether. He denounced, he, 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 he spoke about how bad Detroit was. Right. It's weird because he was supposed to unveil a substantive speech about e economics, and he did no such thing. So I expect that he'll do no such thing when he comes uh, Saturday to talk to the black community. So, uh, again, it's just a matter of what's he going to say next? That it, Nothing's good. Nothing he says works. Nothing he says is sticking to the wall. Uh, and maybe that's why this new uh, campaign director he's got, uh, chief executive for his campaign, Stephen Bannon, uh, whose rise through this uh, right-wing uh, online media group calling themselves uh, Breitbart News Network, uh, one of their big reveals uh, that elevated Bannon uh, in that organization was the uh, Anthony Weiner Weiner texting. Oh, yeah, well, that's back in the news. Uh, which is back in the news. Unfortunately. And so this is, uh, you know... Uh, is this something that Stephen Bannon has? Uh, are these new Wiener textings from Anthony Wiener, uh, or are these things that they already knew about that were just sort of oh well, it's just part of this guy's weird Wiener texting thing from before? But now that the guy who helped break that story is Trump's chief executive of the campaign, who knows? And you know, I'm sure America's heart goes out to the the poor woman uh, who's announced her separation from Mr. Weiner texting, but, who just uh, happens to be a top aide of of, of precisely Hillary Clinton, and it's this sort of drip, 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 uh, you know, about the alleged emails and on the, this big scandal involving emails. Um, and so now here's another way to. Uh, this is maybe all Stephen Bannon has is more Wiener texting info. Well, and of course, it's fascinating juvenile delinquency on his part, and he obviously has a thing about texting. Uh, he is case in point about the dangers of tweeting, posting stuff, and sort of forgetting that it becomes part of the permanent record. I don't know too many details about the latest scandal other than I heard that no, the New York Post, which, of course, is the Rupert Murdoch publication, uh, not completely aligned with Donald Trump, but sort of on the close side, shall we say. Uh, Murdoch and Trump have had some, some rivalries uh, in the past. But, uh, <clears throat> well, that guy Bannon was also a former advisor to uh, Sarah Palin.
And uh, it emerged uh, during the last week the uh, extent to which Fox News' is Sean Hannity is uh, seen as a, an advisor, a somewhat significant advisor to Donald Trump. Uh, although he admits himself, Hannity says, uh, I don't say anything privately that I don't say publicly. I wouldn't uh, trust that as far as I could throw it. Uh, and But he also admits, uh, to his credit, I never claimed to be a journalist, which is pretty to the point for his entire network. Well, and and if he was an advisor to Sarah Palin. Uh, well, uh, no, Hannity's an advisor to Trump. Uh, oh, oh, Hannity. Ban Bannon. Yeah. Bannon with, was an advisor to Palin. With Palin, yeah. I was thinking that if, if that also is the case, uh, he couldn't have been much of a teacher. Right. <laughs> so uh, how he'll work with the Trump team should be just a perfect fit of, again, nothing's nothing will work. She seemed like she was uh, a little... Uh, out of her league uh, as the nominee. And, of course, the real problem there with John McCain's appointment was that he barely knew her uh, and was simply advised that she would somehow help him in the election They were looking, 2008. Yeah, they were looking more at, um, oh, uh, we need a woman. Right. They were just looking at a demographic uh, thing and not at all a qualification or a who is somebody who's a known entity who would actually work. A, a demographic thing that was was connected to uh, Obama's hope and change slogan. Right. But what was fascinating about the hope and change was that went up in smoke anyway because of the financial crisis. Yep. And one of uh, John McCain's ultimate downfalls was that he pretty much knew nothing about economics and it was it became quite evident as the dominoes were falling uh, regarding our global financial system that uh, many things were being sort of held together with scotch tape um, and there were real problems that required real action um, McCain just, like they said, you know, when he suspended his campaign to go to Washington <laughs> to deal with the financial crisis, uh, people at the meeting said he didn't ask any questions and had no understanding of what we were really talking about. Whereas Barack Obama had been interestingly well briefed by a number of experts throughout the summer about some of the possible problems that were on the horizon because and his professorial brain uh, retained some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Barack Obama will go down in history, I think, as one of our more cerebral presidents. No question about it. Um, you know, McCain's decision to go back had more to do with the same sort of window dressing approach to the campaign that the Sarah Palin appointment did. Um, it looks like the right thing to do even though it made no difference whatsoever that he was there. Yeah, and as for these sort of drip, drip, drips about the email, which Trump will continue to pound on, I continue to be impressed with how little is there. Most of it is just not that interesting. Hillary Clinton, of course, appeared last week on one of the talk shows at night. I think it might have been Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, noting that my emails are pretty boring. Um, 
most people's are. I mean, even the Secretary of State is going to have mostly crap emails, I would suspect. It's just the nature of the beast. Well, and as it emerged even from the so-called FBI report, there's three so-called confidential emails that they've mentioned. Uh, one is unknown. One informed her that Kofi Annan was stepping down as special envoy attempting to mediate the war in Syria. Kofi Annan, of course, being the former U.N. Um, Secretary General. Secretary General. And one was a note about Clinton's forthcoming call to Joyce Banda, the newly inaugurated of the, and uh, she was the president newly inaugurated of Malawi. Um, so you even wonder quite often about some of the classification issues involving some of these emails and stuff that's that's quote top secret. You know, it's interesting in the early one of the early articles about. Um, State Department calls three Clinton emails secret after reviewing 6,300 pages. This is dated October 1st uh, in the New York Times by Michael S. Schmidt and uh, Michael D. Shear, Schmidt being one of their sort of regular um, national security guys, with Peter Baker and Edward Lipton contributing, reporting, uh, two more uh, experts, but I wanted to read one of these so-called secret emails. It says, all three of these secret emails released by the State Department, and this was well over a year ago, were almost completely redacted before they were posted. The secret email concerning the 2008 Israeli-Palestinian document noted only the attendees of the meetings in Jerusalem of a meeting that Condoleezza Rice attended on June 15th of 2008. So in other words, the secret in this email were... There was a meeting in 2008. There was a meeting with Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> Rice, excuse shh, me. Shh. Now that you know that, of course, we have to kill you. Now, of course, the meeting um, couldn't have been all that... Productive? Productive, since nothing's changed in, with regard to any of the issues regarding the... Uh, Israelis uh, and uh, the Palestinians, that document remained available on the Al Jazeera website. So here we have a, quote, secret email. It's being called secret. That's actually on a website, the Al Jazeera website. Oh, Fox would probably say that. How do you think they got it? How do you think Al Jazeera got it? And then it says two of the other emails were about the Iran nuclear program and were sent by Mr. Sullivan in January 2011 and appear to include a summary of talks conducted by the P5 plus one, the permanent members of the UN Security Council and Germany. The subject line was <clears throat> summary of day one, Istanbul, P5 plus P5 plus one talks. What's the big secret? Uh, everybody knew uh, that those talks were happening. Those talks were happening and that there were very, very interesting goals involved, involving the sort of reining in the nuclear program of the Iranian government in exchange for 
some normalized relations. Loosening of sanctions. That, of course, has been in the news because of this allegation that the $400 million ransom was paid. The facts, of course, are that the $400 million was money that the Shah of Iran gave to the United States for weapons that we never delivered because we put the money into escrow. And, of course, this would only raise interesting, embarrassing questions about the relationship of the Shah of Iran. As military dictator of Iran. <laughs> well, he was our man Absolutely. in the Middle East. He, 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 it's well documented in all of the historical books about the Nixon-Kissinger presidency that they're the ones that ramped up arms sales to the Shah of Iran. Part of this, by the way, was part of the Cold War rivalry between the United States and the Soviet Union. Well, his installation in 53 is one of the CIA's few actual successes of uh, government overthrow. No question that Iraq was a so uh, Soviet client state in the region. Uh, there was a massive Iraq-Iran war in the 1980s that killed half a million people and cost tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Saddam Hussein, by the way, did the invading. Um, and, of course, there were conspiracy theories that the United States was behind that, which is exceedingly improbable since Saddam Hussein was a client state of the Soviet Union. Um, and, of course, the Iran-Iraq war is part of this ongoing rivalry in the Middle East that's so unbelievable. We've had, over the last week uh, or two, just amazing stories. The Soviets flying missions out of Iran. Turkey actually invading Syria. Mm -hmm. um, huge developments. Rebels now that America is backing in the Syrian civil war are fighting the Turks. This is why this conflict is so problematic and so difficult to solve. And uh, we hope that there are ceasefires. We hope that humanitarian aid goes into Aleppo to uh, relieve hundreds of thousands of civilians that are dying or fleeing Syria. This is a major global international problem. What does Donald Trump do with what's going on in, as ISIS continues to lose more territory, by the way? And ISIS, by the way, attacked Yemen oh, that's right. last night. Um, once again, here we have an Iranian-Saudi proxy war going on in Yemen. These are very problematic areas of the world. This is part. These are part of the 11 wars that are actually going on that are pretty much from Nigeria over to Pakistan, a kind of a line that I discussed last week a little bit regarding the so-called aridity line. I mentioned the aridity line in connection, of course, with where America is striking with drones. Uh, drone warfare, oh. the, the new warfare of the 21st century. And yet Donald Trump would compare what's going on in Aleppo uh, with our inner cities here in America as part of a <laughs> rapprochement involving all of his 
his racist comments. I don't know that Donald Trump is a racist, but he certainly has played cards in that direction. Well, in his campaign, as as you know, to the Republican Party's increasing horror, has provided this sort of umbrella uh, element to uh, disturbing aspects of the fringe right wing, which is now being called the alt right. But it's the same old group of knuckleheads uh, and haters that you know we've all known about for years. The Yahoos, the Know Nothings, the the Tea Partiers, the Tea Partiers, the Birchers, uh, et, et cetera, et cetera. It's just uh, that's where the pitch has found its appeal, and so, gee, the Republican Party uh, missed their chance to uh, nip that in the bud and reclaim uh, their party. So they'll have to deal with that at some later date. But uh, Trump doesn't care or maybe even understand the extent to which his campaign has this function. Yeah. Um, but the embarrassing re-emergence, because I guess this was known about before, but the uh, uh, housing policies uh, of his apartment buildings, you know, marking uh, the folders of applicants to live in these places a C for colored and, you know, non-preferential treatment for African-Americans in his uh, abodes uh, for rent. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to deny those facts. Precisely. Um, and, and it's even little stuff like his recent tiffs with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, you know, his Twitter problem. And he has a Twitter problem, um, you know, calling her Pocahontas. Right. Well, that, that may be amusing. And Trump, of course, can get away with, oh, well, I was just kidding. Um, and we know what that's kind of connected to. It's it's connected to a, a specious claim uh, that emerged in the infamous Scott Brown, Elizabeth Warren senatorial campaign a couple of years ago, in which this was an allegation. Mm. There never was any proof of this. And that Elizabeth Warren used her Native American heritage. She apparently actually has some on applications for federal aid or something. Never been proven and irrelevant. And so what if it was true? <laughs> irrelevant. And, and, and yet Trump actually has spent a day where he tried to make an outreach to Native Americans. What, he, what they talked about is unknown. Uh, no emails seem to be involved. But uh, the email scandal. I don't know how many Native Americans have a Twitter account that he could appeal to them through. Well, that, that, that might be part of his, his problem. He's winning the campaign on Twitter, losing it on television, I would say. New ads in a couple of uh, five states. Apparently there's a $10 million ad campaign headed uh, toward Colorado and... Uh, a handful of other states. Yeah, well, it's strange that he would even worry about New Hampshire. Uh, I don't think the outcome of this presidential race is going to be determined by New Hampshire. Uh, they have four electoral votes. Of course, uh, New Hampshire did vote for George W. Bush in uh, 2000, and, uh, 2000 in the disputed election, and uh, third parties played a slight role in that outcome. But I don't see this race barring a 
incredible d- debate collapse by Hillary Clinton going in that direction. I think that Donald Trump is just too far in the hole. And when you see uh, that he's running behind Romney amongst, quote, white voters by astonishing figures. Double digits among college educated. Yeah. And this is what it's coming down to. Um, it's strange that um, you, you, you hear these voters interviewed frequently on the radio and you kind of wonder about America sometimes where people get this information. Um, I heard a woman actually interviewed who said that she wouldn't even care if Donald Trump shot somebody. (laughs) She was going to vote for him anyway. And she didn't care about all these controversies, which is fine, but... uh, And I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump would shoot somebody, but he's made some pretty ridiculous, loose comments. Shoots his mouth off. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of people... No, I don't think he would shoot anybody either, but I think... If he did shoot somebody, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at this point because it's been the sort of a campaign where it's like, what stupid is going to happen this week? Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah. This is stupid. Can't believe it. But. uh... Well, and the thing is, is that Trump, you know, like I like to say, says three kinds of things. His ideas, his the party of ideas, this is the, the Republican mantra about how they're going to save their party after Donald Trump, in all probability, loses, I, though I don't think it'll be a landslide. His ideas are either bad, dangerous, or stupid. He doesn't have anything going for him because there's nothing there. I mean, this is what the fundamental problem is. He seems to have an incredible lack of of any understanding of what's really going on in the world or any solutions for actual problems that America has. Well, he doesn't care. Yeah. I'm a negotiator. I can cut it. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. Believe me. You know, it's all vague generalities that ultimately go nowhere. We're going to fix that. We're going to fix that. So, well, uh, we'd like to remind you that you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And stay tuned for Yazoo City Calling. We'll be coming up next with Jerry Mack. Thanks to Andrew for engineering today. And uh, it's sad in a way, but uh, what a long career of warming the hearts of millions Gene Wilder uh, had. Oh. And uh, I'm sure we've all got favorite moments from uh, any number of films that he was in. Very funny guy. Uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 83. Didn't even hear that. And uh, we are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. That's the one of the great quotes from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka, as that film version is called. Well, I always loved uh, Young Frankenstein. That's a classic. That's a good one. Blazing Saddles. I mean, how can you forget the little blue blanket? My blue blanket! Yep, a master of comedy. A guy going to pieces uh, for great effect. Well, out of time, Yazoo City Calling, coming up next right here on WCBN, FM, and Arbor.